Well, hello and welcome to The Mariner with me, Chris Stamwell Major. All right, we're ready to go. It's going to be a different kind of uh, podcast than normal because we're talking about something that uh, I myself am very, very excited about, and that's the Global Solar Challenge. So I've just cracked the top of a, uh, a tonic water here, and I'm going to find something to put into it. Uh, if you hear that my breath sounds a bit kind of <laughs> breathy in this one, it should fade in the next sort of 10 or 15 minutes. My own story with COVID was that um, I steered well clear of the vaccine until I got to a point where there was there was like a moment in August of 2021 where it looked like taking one was beneficial from the point of view of being able to try to move around and get in places and specifically travel to Europe to pick up the maxi, which I was the big project they were trying to do in 2021. Um, I did then get COVID thereafter. When I got it, I ended up being left with some weird thing going on in my lungs where I almost have like asthma-like um, symptoms. You can hear like, that's not too bad right now. Actually. I took a, I took an antihistamine literally like five minutes ago and uh, it'll work very quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, I was left with that. So if you hear me, um, <clears throat> I'm not out of breath. I'm not that old. I'm um, I'm enfeebled by uh, <laughs> by, yeah, by COVID, but, um, but still fit enough to sail around the world. So yeah. Um, we're going to be talking about the, the Global Solar Challenge, as I said. Uh, for some of you, this may not be something that's like really of interest. L let me try and change your mind. And I would go into this by saying I never watch any uh, content on YouTube to do with sailing. I don't really follow round the world yacht races. I have done them. Um, I'm very interested in long distance sailing, obviously, as you can imagine. And I've done like, I know, like 30 transats and god knows what in the last x number of years so the point is that uh i wouldn't normally be the one that's hey let's all look at this website for this around the world yacht race that is not what i do for me personally when i watch the vendee globe although i <clears throat> would see that as being like a a height that i might be able to get to one day to actually have a competitive campaign in the vendee globe um I, I wouldn't, wouldn't be caught dead watching it the rest of the time. I'm just too damn jealous. That's the problem. That's the honesty of thing. It just, I want to be out there. I don't want to be watching it on TV, but there's something different going on with the Global Solar Challenge, and I hope that I can transfer some of my passion to you uh, because we've actually got quite an interesting thing to look at. The problem with the Vendee Globe is that it sets off and then really you've got people who are in it as like kind of Corinthian acts, like they've managed to get themselves in their boat there. Awesome huge thing to be able to do but they're not going to be at the front of the race um you've got people who are multi-million dollar campaign uh you know the the, the centers of, of of massive uh corporate activities to put a boat onto the water and obviously in france offshore sailing being so important to the to the culture there's sponsors who are the kind of people that are on your breakfast table right that's when you know that a uh, a culture has really kind of got a hold of sailing when it's your Johnson and Johnson and Sedebo and those kind of people, Renault, who are getting involved with the Generali, getting involved with the with the sailing, you know, very basic kind of uh, consumer items. So, um, <clears throat> so I, I don't get interested because they just bugger off and leave everybody else behind. And then uh, what are we going to do? We're going to watch a load of guys at the front with boats that no one can ever aspire to get their hands on. Even me, who does kind of orbit somewhat around that kind of stuff i see it pass by maybe a little bit closer than you do but i'm still not on them i've not got that opportunity so um for me it's of limited interest but the global solar challenge is a different beast because it's a pursuit race and if you haven't <clears throat> already picked up on it the pursuit race uh concept is kind of new to around the world sailing it was very new to around the world sailing 
Um, but I think it's strong. I think it's a very strong way to run a race. And uh, I'd like to congratulate Marco Nanini, who's the guy behind the Global Solo Challenge. It's his personal endeavor to put all this on. It's a huge deal to have to bring all of this together, as you can imagine, and then have to deal with sailors, the most flaky of the flaky, um, you know, even more flaky than circus and musicians and <laughs> beach bums, sailors. <clears throat> yeah, it's a uh, it's quite the thing to, to be able to herd those cats. Uh, but Marco's put this thing together and with this wonderful concept. What it means is that as we get closer to the end, it's going to get more interesting because everyone's going to start scooching together because he's using the IRC handicap system, which normally when you'd see this happen, the boats would be at the start line. <clears throat> They'd bugger off and race their race. And then when they get back to the end, uh, the... Um, you know that the the the, the lapse time is is uh, calculated against the boat's uh, uh, rating handicap, and uh, then you're able to like work out who's the winner. It's one of the reasons that yacht racing is so crap because for spectators, firstly they don't understand what's going on, and secondly there's no result until you know it could be like a couple of hours after. Certainly if there's penalties to be dealt with, so you've got an, an event which you can't watch because it it goes over the horizon that you don't understand and has no clear winner for days after it's finished. So, you know, kind of sucks to be a, a, a sailor when the money that goes into it, the the personal development that can occur within it, the the team work, the, the, the leadership, all these things which would make it such an awesome, awesome sport to watch don't kind of ever communicate to the audience because they don't know what's going on it's hard to watch. Okay, better now that we've got cameras on board the boats, but that's only in the last couple of uh, years, really. So this, I think, is a really smart idea because everyone sets off at different times and no one really gives a hoot about that. And I've been to the start of the Vendee Globe. You know, I've been there with hundreds and hundreds of boats just stewing along behind the fleet as they go over the start line. And then we were actually doing an event that was in 2016 and we sailed along with the uh, Vendee boats behind them um, all the way down to the Canaries. So it was a real opportunity to be there at the start line and then follow them in a, in a Whitbread 60, which was a challenger at the time. And it was brilliant. But um, the rest of the world didn't really like take a note. Sailors are like, oh, my God, it's the biggest thing ever. And then uh, the rest of the world's like, you know, three months later, hey, there was a finish like this guy did this thing. So this, I think, is going to get interesting. What is petrifying about this for me is that some people have already set off. Like my start date for this, if I do manage to get to the to the start line of this thing, um, my start date is the 9th of December. There's somebody else who's taking a Volvo 70 solo, which we'll discuss that later. Um, his start date's in January. Meanwhile, my man David Hughes here, uh, he set off on the 26th of August <laughs> and he's racing for the same finish line as myself leaving on the December the 9th and the Volvo 70 leaving in the first week of January. How incredible. What it means is that <clears throat> you're going to be in a situation where as we get into March, there's going to be a lot of boats all heading for the, the, the finish line in La Coruna in, in Spain. And I think that makes this a, a very unique event. Now, for those who didn't pick up the podcast last week, um, I'm trying to get to this this start line. And uh, it's been an exciting week. I, I got a couple of um, sizable donations this week, sponsorship, you might call it, uh, from people who've been following me for a while with the various things I've done. I didn't ask for them. Um, I'm trying to get corporate sponsorship for the last bit, the last big 
step I want to make, which is the rigging on the boat. It's a 42,000 US dollar proposition. Um, I've got some guys who are interested to to help out of Boston, but until you know the, the check is signed, who really knows? But all I'm doing is like, I will just keep moving forward and fixing whatever can be fixed and use up whatever resources I've got until someone says to me, it's too late, you can't do it. And I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll even risk taking the boat across the Atlantic with the, uh, the rigging that I've got so I can be there and, uh, and confirm with the, uh, the race organizer that every other element of the boat is ready apart from the rigging because that's kind of, kind of where I'm at. So um, I haven't yet got confirmation from the people that gave me donations this week that I can use their names. So I've re received two um, two donations, one of a thousand and one of uh, 500 Canadian dollars. That money went straight into the, um, uh, the, 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 the rebuilding of the boat, the, 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 the working up of the boat and bought the anti-foul and specifically the very expensive high visibility anti-foul that we use that goes on the bottom of that boat. So rather than me doing that over in Spain, which I was expecting to do, that can actually get done now and there's still be a little bit left over to pay for lifting the boat into the water which is fifteen hundred dollars just to lift the boat into the water so this is crazy expensive <clears throat> and uh, obviously when i started out with dream to do this i had a race charter company um and now don't so i'm trying to get a uh like a, a boat which would I know when I think of like Brad Van Loo going to the beginning of the uh, the Velux Five Oceans race in uh, in in 2010, which I raced in, my budget was shoestring. Brad's was absolutely everything that needed. He got and uh, and he won because of it, you know. And uh, you're looking at over half a million bucks, not counting the cost of the boat, just to get ready to go. So the fact that we're trying to do this on a shoestring, the fact that we've got there, apart from the rigging. Um, is pretty exciting. But um, whilst I'm worrying about <laughs> do I have any rigging, David Hughes is out there. So I uh, I tried to record this uh, earlier, as I always do with these. I'm now locked into the thing of I've tried to record it three times. And if I don't manage to get to a successful point after three, then I just start the recording and I have to keep talking for at least an hour. <laughs> so I'm here like, uh, like Stockholm Syndrome now. I'm back because I don't want to be here or something. Um, but his boat, which was fouling me up on the last uh, versions of this, is called... Okay, we'll do the spelling first, and then you'll see where I'm getting confused. David is Welsh, okay? And his boat, the spelling is B-E-N, like Ben, and then the word dig, Ben dig, okay? And then E, and then the word dig again, Ben dig, E dig. Now, I don't want to disrespect anybody. I don't know how to speak Welsh. If there's another way of pronouncing that, please somebody send me the uh, the the phonetic version of how you say Bendigidig in in Welsh, and I'll be I'll be right on that. But for now, uh, the Bendy boat, Bendy is uh, actually I don't want to make some like name like that. What can we call it? Bendigidig. I'll just go with that. I don't want to call it Bendy boat or anything like that because that's not uh, that's not respectful. It's uh, he's out on the water competing in a round the world yacht race and. Uh, and he's as much a competitor as anybody else right now because I, I had to start to, you know, kind of get my bearings on the Global Solo Challenge uh, website here. It's at globalsolochallenge.com and I am not the person to ask about how it compares to any other around the world yacht race websites because I've never looked at them because I just, as I said before, I just get bored so quickly. But um, <clears throat> this one has got... Uh, a bit where you can see all the different um, skippers, of course, and I had some questions asked and, you know, they're kind of why they've come to the race. There's all things about the boats. There's the news from the actual race organizers, a lot of which is written by Marco Nanini, the guy that put the uh, the race together. And of course, there's a, a tracking page over on um, 
a yellow brick. So we can see where David is and he is on his way uh, towards uh, Cape of uh, Good Hope. Um, I was going to say the Cape of Storms. I've been reading some older books. I have this other podcast called The Mariner's Library, um, which about 250, 300 people pick it up on a daily basis. It's me reading these older books. Um, have had some issues in the last week with uh, trying to change artwork and all sorts of things going wrong. So if you did lose the Mariner's Library off your uh, device in the last week, it's all back now. Please go and uh, resubscribe and pick up the ones you missed. But um, there was an issue forever with the artwork with that, that I was going back and forth with Apple. Now I've got that sorted out. But um, of course, historically, the, uh, the the bottom of Africa was called the Cape of Storms, and then it uh, changed its name to the Cape of Good Hope in uh, 1950. Blah, blah, blah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, the Cape Horn is uh, the bottom of South America, uh, Cape Lewin on the western edge of Australia, and the Cape of Good Hope are considered the three stormy capes. So this is a pursuit race solo unassisted non-stop around the world south of the three stormy capes so david is out there at the moment in bendigidig uh and he is pretty much uh, he's just a little south of the uh, latitude of um, africa and he's a little bit more to the east than that big bulge of africa that sticks out to the west he's a little bit east of that and he's a little bit south of the tip of africa that maybe sort of locates him a little bit in your mind looks to me like he's got a thousand miles to go into cape town if that's where he was heading but he ain't going there. <laughs> he is going round the world, baby, <clears throat> all the way. So um, what's happening on board that boat? Well, let's uh, <clears throat> now I will just say if you if you. Yeah, my, my voice is starting to get a little bit better. So if you hear me drinking and uh, guzzling on this tonic water. With additives, um, it's all for the it's all for the best. Don't worry about it. I'll be I'll be fine. I'm not I'm not sailing today. All right, let's uh, go back on the website here to uh, entries. <clears throat> yeah, let's find out a little bit about David. It's such a good site that I thought, you know what, even if I don't get to the start line, which I'm not working on that basis, but even if I didn't, I can still be somewhat useful by uh, by promoting, not promoting, like discussing and, and getting excited about this um, awesome race. I think that's the thing that I kind of came to. There was this moment where... I've been approaching the race like it was other events I've like had to go and do. You know, if you've got a company, you say we're going to do X, Y, Z events. Um, there's so much logistics. There's so much admin. There's so much hassle. There's like answering the same question a thousand times, which, you, you know, you've chosen to be in that situation. So you can't kind of get crappy about it. But equally, it, it wears you down a little bit. And in the end, the event itself becomes like this thing that you're like, oh, the Caribbean 600, I don't want to do that again. Or the, the middle sea race or whatever it is. Um, there was a point about two months ago, where I realized like I am fundamentally excited about this event and I want to be in it, whatever my result is. Um, I just, I think it's a great event. So, um, okay, so it says of David, David Hughes, uh, his start date was the 26th of August this year. Okay, and he's racing to a finish line that I'm looking to be on with him and I'm setting off on the 9th of December. I still got to get my head around that. <laughs> I, there's going to be very exciting to be trying to chase these folks down. But um, I hope this IRC thing works out as well as Marco's thinking it will. Uh, so he's in a 1971 Sparkman and Stevens 34 footer. Like 
to me, that is mind blowing. I think that's a bigger challenge than I've got because uh, you might look at something like an Open 60 and initially say, wow, you know, that's it's so difficult. It's so heavy. But sure, once you've worked out how to do it, have you ever seen guys on YouTube shorts like running the, the gear in oil drilling rigs? Like it's heavy. There are chains. They're sweating. They're normally covered in mud. Like you realize at any moment you put your hand in the wrong place, your hand's coming off. But they don't because... They know what they're doing, right? And that's kind of like the Open 60. Like, yeah, it took a while to work out how to do it, but now I know how to do it. It's a machine that I can operate. A 34-foot boat through the Southern Ocean, that's a challenge. That's Slocum-level challenge. So my, my hat is off to, to Daffod Hughes here. Um, he had 50,000 miles uh, sailing or more than 50,000 miles sailing when uh, he uh, set off on this race. He's from Tallybont in West Wales in the UK. Please help me if I've said that wrong. T-A-L-Y-B-O-N-T, Talibont in West Wales. And he was born in 1960. Um, the questions from the race organizers when he made his entry were, where does your passion for sailing come from? And he responded, I've already raced around the world once, crude. This is a whole new challenge. And what's not to love about that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. He's already raced around the world once. What's going on here? You've got to be careful with these uh, these. 34 footers they uh they could have captains that really know what they're doing and because it's a pursuit race <laughs> if he's fast and he can actually run that boat somewhere near the um the, the the polars of that boat what should happen is that we all arrive like you know at the finish line on the same day and uh suddenly we've got it <laughs> you're getting beaten by oh david hughes is he a rugby player no 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 that's a different that's a different david hughes I'm guessing maybe David Hughes is a is a, uh, a a common name in Wales. It could be like uh, Joe Joe Bloggs elsewhere. David Hughes. Oh, David Hughes saying, "I have got my uh, oldest computer that I do my um, my uh, um, podcast on. Right, it can run the software that records the podcast quite nicely." Um, when you ask it to do anything else, including the uh, the internet suddenly you're in a situation where you're dealing like with your uh your parents computer you know what i'm saying like it needs like 800 drivers uh uh reinstalling and uh the connection's not quite right and uh there's a picture of a cat as the the the, the screensaver or something okay uh sale world oh it doesn't say oh ben it's got its own website ben dig ben dig i hope on the website they're going to tell us how to pronounce this that would be very very helpful Okay. <clears throat> All right. Uh-huh. My mission statement. Uh-huh. To complete the course with zero emissions, or if not possible, offset to zero. Make the best use of recycled, refurbished equipment during the refit without compromising safety or reliability. I'm with you, buddy. The zero emissions thing. I do have a bit of a plan for that with those. Um, I'm going to try that um, uh, engine uh, adaptation that I was talking about. Uh we shall see. I, I've also got solar on board the boat. I have an option to go with a, uh, a, a hydro generator as well in the water behind the boat. But we'll see if he can do it. Um, zero emissions. That's amazing. Um, the Vendée Globe boats have only just in the last couple of editions managed to achieve that. I think it was. Oh, what was the boat that was the first one to go round with? Uh, hmm, I can't remember who it was now. Oh, well, it's only in the last couple of editions that they've managed to do a completely emissions free uh, lap of the planet, which is kind of seems funny for a, a sailing boat. Right. But you have to charge the, the batteries to be able to get the autopilot working with a smaller boat like this. If you've got a uh, wind vane steering gear, 
I'm sure you could you could make that happen quite easily. Um, and the third part of his mission statement is to promote the link between nature and mental health. I absolutely agree with that. What a fantastic thing to put in the mission statement. Yeah, it is important. <clears throat> it does go the other way, though. And you have to be very, very careful when you're at sea um, on your own. And, um, you know, and, and, and particularly now where we have a lot more uh, information coming onto the boat, um, you, you can be in a situation where you start to worry about things that uh, are part of the world at home and shouldn't really be on the boat. Uh, you shouldn't be worrying about those things, you know, but uh, complete the course of zero emissions, make the best use of recycled and refurbished equipment and promote the link between nature and mental health are his points. And in order to complete the challenge, participants must sail around the world single handed, nonstop and without assistance. OK, so this is for his uh, for his sponsors. So, yeah, that's a very. Uh... Oh, good. And he's got his family uh, behind him and everything. And oh, it's great. So he's got a really nice website here called Ben Dig E Dig. I still don't know how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get there. Maybe we can work out, you know, can maybe I can talk to him. Is that possible? You know, we live in the future, right? This is this should be possible to be able to do this. Mm. Oh, he's got strength and fitness coach, electrical and electronic systems, technical support and nutrition, shore support lead. He's got a team of people behind him. That is absolutely brilliant. So I would say, oh, and Hannah Jenner's there. I know Hannah. Technical support and nutrition. Okay, Roger, Roger. So, look, it's a pretty exciting thing. When he says he's been around the world and he knows Hannah Jenner, I'm wondering if he has been on a clipper race. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Oh, yeah, here we go. At the age of 27, Hannah was my skipper on Glasgow in the Clipper 0708 race, and they achieved third on the podium. So he's an ex-Clipper crew who's now taking a 34-foot around the world. Okay, well, <clears throat> he's seen the Southern Ocean like on his right as he went through the uh, through the Clipper race. Uh, they go to about 40 degrees south. They don't go any further south on the Clipper race. You cut from South Africa across to Western Australia and then cut up to Singapore and then on up to Qingdao in uh, northeastern China and then across the Atlantic to sorry, the Pacific to um, San Francisco and then down to Panama and, and kind of cross over the Americas that way. You don't go around Cape Horn. So I thought for a second we'd got someone like um, Jean-Luc Vandenheed, who was in the Golden Globe race, who's like a an absolutely solid round the world competitor. And it's like, wow, that could be really competitive. So um, but he's got a team of folks. He's got a very clear mission. He's already out there on the water and that means he is dangerous to anybody else in the fleet so my 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 hat once again off to david who else is on the water at the moment um while i'm just figuring my way through this uh and working out how to bring the <laughs> bring the news to you um by clicking on a clicking on a website in the background whilst trying to chat to somebody not always the easiest thing to do i uh, just like to remind you that uh, if you go over to patreon.com forward slash the mariner there's uh, there's other um, material there. There's uh, another audio book there. There's some other videos there of the seamanship stuff. And I'm going to be putting the videos about my development of the uh, this campaign. Um, I already started filming about three weeks ago. I'm going to start putting those up on um, Patreon, and then people can uh, have a see what it's uh, what it's all about to, um, to to put a boat together. It's definitely uh, the same deal for me that we are going to be having to use recycled things, but. I'm using things which are recycled and refurbished out of my own supply and store of stuff that we had from the Spartan Round the World, um, sorry, Spartan Round the World, Spartan uh, Ocean Racing, my, my company that did the race charter. Obviously, when you have something like that and you have two or three big boats, you end up with lots of extra stuff. So while we don't have the boats anymore, 
got a lot of gear and that gear has now all been transferred to Falcon, cleaned up, sorted out and she is uh, ready for the water apart from the um, anti-valve this week and the rigging whenever we can get that on. Okay, the next boat that's out there, which is pretty much um, the most uh, western lump of Africa, it's about a thumb's width to the left of that. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> we're, they, he's... Uh, yeah, they're kind of like in the middle of the Atlantic. It looks like um, David on the Bendig Edig uh, got a pretty good run down through the uh, through the doldrums. The doldrums are always a tricky period. From 10 degrees north of the equator to 10 degrees south of the equator, we've got this band, the Intertropical Convergence Zone, or the doldrums as otherwise known. And it's um, you're constantly beset by big winds and then nothing, and then big winds and then nothing, and big and just on and on and on. And the, the method of getting through that area is that you've got kind of <clears throat> a lot of a lot of wind south of the uh, south of uh, 10 degrees south and north of 10 degrees north. And the the front of where the wind is, is constantly kind of oscillating and moving around the the uh, like. Mm, how do I describe this? <clears throat> Have you ever seen those toys uh, kind of like a executive desk toy and it's a big um, perspex box that's got oil in the bottom of it and water on top and when you tip it up and down you see the water moving around the oil you can't see the water per se you can see the oil moving around like a wave right so imagine that's the um, air currents in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere you've got this kind of wave of currents flowing around the world drifting north drifting south depending on where those two get closest together you can cut through the doldrums quite quickly if you get a moment where the wave from the northern weather pattern and the wave from the southern weather pattern come close together, you might only have 100 miles or in fact zero miles of no wind and you can cut straight through. And looking at David's um, track here on uh, Yellow Brick, it looks like he kind of came around the corner of uh, Africa, uh, tacked, jibed over, and then he's just got one big lifting uh course which is just taking him all the way down the Atlantic right down the middle of the Atlantic for the bigger boats like for me when I go I'd be looking across the equator around 36 to 38 degrees west I think that's right <laughs> it's been a while and uh, cutting really close to Fernando Orna um, which was I actually learned loads about that when I was reading one of the books for the Mariners Library called the 15,000 miles and a catch and they they stopped off at Fernando Orna and and told the whole story of the place but you go past that like within sight and that is just off the uh, South American coast and then having cut from Europe to the edge of South America you then recurve backwards uh it's a longer route, but it's faster. But our man David uh, just seems to have gone right down the middle of the Atlantic and it's all worked out very well with him. <laughs> so just behind him then, uh, he's at the bottom of Africa, at the top of Africa uh, in a Solaire 34. I don't know what that is, but I will uh, I will find out as we go along. We have uh, Edouard de Kaiser. Kaiser? Kaiser. Edouard de Kaiser. Oh, I feel awful that I don't know all these names yet. And just behind him, like a, a, a thumb's width above him, Philippe Delamere. Okay, so, and he's in a, what boat is he in? Doesn't say here. Okay, we'll find it in a second. Um, let's go and find out more about those skippers. So I'm just going to check now. We've got Edward. Edward, we're going to look over here. Kind of getting my head around <clears throat> entry profiles. That's it. 
lots and lots of information on this website very easily laid out that's uh, globalsolochallenge.com you can see me on the retired list because uh, at the moment i still need to put in the money that's gonna secure the entry it's all lined up it shouldn't be a problem and my qualifier will be crossing the atlantic but um, at the moment we've got two four six eight ten twelve fourteen sixteen eighteen twenty 20 confirmed full entries like that's getting close to a Vonday. I'll be the 21st if I can get in there. And I think there's another like 30 on the list that we're going to do it, may do it, you know, kind of like here, there, they might, they might be there, they might not be. So let's see how that um, works out. But Edward, let me see if I can find Edward's picture here. I think they're a little bit further down the screen. Yeah. Okay. Oh, hey, where's Edward? I see Philippe, uh, Edward de Kaiser. Okay, great. <clears throat> Let's learn more about him. Ed, Ed, Edward. It looks like it's a South American. Uh, is he? Oh, from Belgium. Aha. Okay, gotcha. E-D-O-U-A-R-D. I think that's still Edward, isn't it? Edward de Kaiser. Okay, born 1965, over 50,000 miles before he started on this. His boat's called Solar Wind, and it's a Solaire 34. And the question is, uh, where does your passion for sailing come from? He says, from the time of my holidays in Brittany with my mother and my brothers when I was eight or nine. After that, I had the pleasure of sailing many times in numerous places around the world alone as a crew and as a family. It says, what lessons have you learned from sailing? First of all, that there is no favorable win for those who do not know where they are going. Life advice right there. Like, I think that's kind of what I worked out uh, a couple of months ago when I decided to try and enter this race. Like, regardless, it's just, you, you know, you realize like, OK, I'll just wait. I'll wait and wait till the wind's favorable and it never comes. And then you just realize, well, hang on, I'm just hanging around now. It's not waiting. The difference between waiting and hanging around is a plan. Right. So you realize, like, I'm not actually moving forward. So, yeah, there is no favorable win for those who do not know where they're going. Um, what brought you to single-handed sailing? Oh, we should go back and read some more of the ones from David. I only read one and then moved on. Too excited. Um, what brought you to like single-handed sailing of uh, here of Edward in Solar Wind? The desire continuously to test my limits, but also the unparalleled happiness of finding the ooh, Fenua Anata, the Marquesan for the land of men at the end of the road. So Marquesan, Marquesi, Marquesan, Marquesan must be a language that he speaks or he knows a particular quote from it. And uh, the land of men, I think that is that like Elysium or something like that. I'm going to have to, there's a lot of research I'm going to have to do here. This chap seems quite philosophical. Uh, okay, but he's the, the unparalleled happiness of finding the Fenua Enata, the land of men at the end of the road. Okay. What prompted you to sign up for the event? <clears throat> Since my mini transit in 1989 with my Coco Brussels Gagnant. <laughs> Sorry, I'm murdering all these things. Uh, I have always dreamed of making a long voyage like that of Bernard Mortissier. Still inspiring people. Flipping X, 60 years on, 60, 70 years on. People still inspired by that guy. The GSC is an opportunity. It's just uh, falling at the right time for me. I'm 56. I'm still in great shape. My children are becoming independent themselves, and I'm once again a turning point, at a turning point with my career. And then, what's a career? Between the Vendée Globe and the Golden Globe race, I chose the goal, uh, Global Solo Challenge because it seems a smart alternative to me. In addition, a Coruna, that's the starting place in Spain, is a magnificent port of departure and arrival. I congratulate the organisation for choosing such an inspiring place. That's Marco, and he's done a great job. How do you plan to prepare for this event? First, by sailing as much as possible and spending the time it takes to prepare the boat. I also know that even if we sail alone behind me, there is a group of people to support me. Good for you, man. I like this guy. 
it, you'll find with me when I'm talking about sailing, I'll often say we because I got so used to the fact of trying to, you know, recognize that detail in in conversations and the press and you know kind of events that you do if you start saying i did this and i did that it kind of draws out the insane level of narcissism and uh um i don't know like self awareness or self uh self-indulgence maybe what's the right word here i don't know for solo sailing um there is the opportunity for all these wonderful positive things to come out of it and i'm very very aware of the fact that people vicariously will take on the challenge with you <clears throat> you know when you're doing something like this um you need to remember them because if you don't remember them in your speech and in your mind and in your heart when you're doing this stuff then it is just you like <laughs> It's just you uh, in the more negative sense of that, of just like, it's all about me. You know, the conversation is always back to me. Um, it is just you and the ocean and you can only ever hope to survive. You don't beat the ocean. There's no winning. Um, there's just surviving and, and being safe and getting through it. But uh, there's a huge group of people that uh, are behind anybody that's doing this, as we saw from David's page, where he's got all of the people that he was listing on his page. Um, he says, I want to devote uh, time, energy to them so that whatever happens, this adventure is a collective victory. There are only 18 months left to be on the starting line. <laughs> so I'm already in the race. Hmm. Okay. 18 months. I got about 1.8 months. Maybe not that much. But, um, you know, the boat is ready apart from one thing. One thing which if the we're going to be redoing the rigging. Let's talk about that for a second. So I have managed to get a massive decrease in the cost of the rigging for my boat. Instead of going for carbon or PBO, which are the exotic synthetic uh, options for rigging a, an open 60 um, I'm going to go for rod rigging now <clears throat> anybody that knows these kind of boats will be like what the problem with putting weight up in the rig of a boat is that uh, it's basically a five to one ratio for things that are at the top of the mast it's like a five to one ratio things that are 80 foot of the mast four to one ratio 60 foot of the mast three to one ratio so it means that that 130 kilos which the rod rigging is going to cost me over the synthetic rigging is give or take the equivalent of taking is the equivalent of taking 400 kilos out of my keel. That's a problem. The only thing that makes it better is that my boat, specifically my Open 60, is fixed keel, and she does most of her writing moment actually through water ballast. So the water ballast going in, um, no, I won't be able to uh, put in enough to kind of overcome this issue of the rigging way more and there's a lot of other negative factors as well but it's not quite as critical as if i just was using the keel and canting the keel up i can put loads of gear over i can put a little bit of ballast in at a slightly different time in the schedule to 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 make up for it but i know it's going to make the boat slightly twitchy but it's 20,000. It's like a third cheaper, 30% cheaper than doing it the other way. And I know that at the end of it, I have a boat which still has 10 years left on its rigging as opposed to PBO rigging, which would be my other choice at about $60,000. Um, and that's only good for five years or 30,000 miles. So basically we do a huge amount of work to get the boat ready, uh, sail it around the world, and then it can't be sailed again uh, without getting the rigging changed. And there's no way that's happening. So I'd rather take the hit. I'd rather be slower. I'd rather have that as my story that, oh, I would have won if I had PBO rigging, but at the end of it, have a boat that I maybe actually could sail and do something else with. There's some people actually approached me the other day about doing the Quebec San Marlo race. So <clears throat> if you're interested in doing that, that could be a great way to uh, push this idea forward, couldn't it? We can do the um, San Marlo race <clears throat> and um, hmm, 
get people on board the boat. Spartan doesn't really exist anymore, but if it was sponsorship and it was paid now and you got a free trip later, that actually wouldn't be the same as running a commercial concern. It's very interesting world doing the commercial race charter you have to be extraordinarily careful about um insurance and uh which rules you're working under and where the commerce and everything else is but what you can do is receive sponsorship and then at a point in the future allow people to come for a sale on the boat so um, maybe there's a way of doing the quebec san marlo and getting my rigging and not having to rely on uh, corporate uh, sponsorship for this that'd be pretty exciting wouldn't it okay so um what else does he say? Uh, what do you think will be the biggest challenge? This is Ed Edward. We're going to call him. I'm going to call him for now. Uh, on Solar Wind, who's uh, just um, off the 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 Horn of Africa. Um, do I mean the Horn of Africa, or is that on the other side? That's Djibouti. That's the Horn of Africa. What's the the bum of Africa? The Western bum of Africa. That's where he is. Um, uh, what? Oh, no, no, I've got to get the right bit of it. Where do you prepare for this event? Okay, prepare for the event. You prepared eighteen months ago. I already knew I was pooched. He's been reading Sun Tzu, right? He's uh, he's you, the one who wins on the battlefield is the one that's done all the right preparation. <clears throat> um, what do you think will be the biggest challenge? Certainly, sailing in the Southern Oceans and the Roaring Fifties, and well, yeah, it's the Furious Fifties, but also overcoming loneliness and holding on to. And holding on for such a long time. Let's. I'll, I'll help him out. There's, we guys working across a, a language here, which I can't even do. So I can at least do him the the uh, the, the service of, of of tidying up in English here a little bit. Yeah, overcoming loneliness and holding on for such a long time. Finally, especially coming back, whatever happens, with a beautiful story to share. This is why the people on the continent, the people in Europe have got it down with sailing in a way that North America and frankly a lot of the UK hasn't in my experience in competitive sailing in around the UK and certainly in North America and that's translated over to Asia because that's uh, how the Asian kind of sailing scene propagated really out of uh, America a lot of it there's a thing of like either you win bronze silver gold or leather you know fourth place leather medal uh or kind of you weren't there, or you didn't turn up, or if your boat's not shiny enough, like you, your your campaign has no value. I hate that. I love that in France, if you read Voile Voilier, which, you know, I can say the title, I can't read it because I can't speak French, but I can see that when I open it up, there's a full page about the Vendée Globe, and there's a full page about a family in a 20-footer who are going across the channel for the first time. They get what it means to go and do this stuff. This is not bloody golf. This is not tennis this is something far more visceral far more passion bound far more difficult far more potentially dangerous than than um, most sports that people follow but as we said the competitors bugger off nobody understands what's going on in the race and there's no real victor until the uh you know, the handicap has been worked out so maybe the global solo challenge is the uh, anathema to that it gets maybe a larger world audience looking at people who are out following their passion here. Um, it says, uh, tell us about your boat or the boat you would like to have. I just acquired a Solaire 34 built by Jacques. Oh my goodness, this world is populated by people whose names I can't say. R-I-G, rig, okay, we're up to that bit. U-I, rig, yule, del, rig, yule, del, rig, yule, del, rig, yule, del. Okay, Jacques Rigudel. <laughs> I have a degree in linguistics. I cannot read anybody's names, brilliant. Uh, I just acquired a Solaire 34 built by Jacques Rigodel. It is a boat. That's the secret I've learned from reading all these books. Hey, for this uh, Mariner's Library podcast, you just push through with confidence and everyone will think you know what's going on. 
Um, it's a boat built in an eco-smart way. I like the idea of giving a second life to the things that men have made. Very true again. Oh, I'm going to have to catch this guy down just so I can like wave and say, you're right, man, you're right. I will not go as far as to recycle a telegraph pole to make the mast, but I will reuse as much equipment as I can and try to promote the best green technologies so that our ocean remains as blue as possible. Yeah. Um, do you intend to link your personal challenge to a social cause? Yes, I would love to. My boat is called Solar Wind, and I would like to bring together partners who are taking concrete action to ensure that the future of our little blue planet is not jeopardized by man's madness. <clears throat> I don't think it is, personally. We could discuss uh, climate change one day on the uh, a normal Mariner podcast. You know, there's there's strong voices on both sides of that, and uh, I, I work in the environment okay <laughs> i'm taking this very seriously and i'm seeing the evidence on a day-to-day -day basis and uh i wouldn't you know run out and buy a uh like radioactive thermal suit right now i don't think that's going to be an issue it may get a bit warmer if the trends that have been going on for thousands of years continue but uh, i think we're okay for now so we'll get to the end of the race um yeah he says is there anything else you'd like to add he says Given the list of skippers already registered, this is 18 months before the, <laughs> the event started, he says, I think this race is already exciting. He's absolutely right. He has done uh, Mini Transat in 1989, Greenland Sea Mountain Expedition. That sounds exciting. Anybody that's going to travel in a boat to Greenland is pretty committed. That There are not many names on the charts there. Uh, skipper of Iceland in 2003. What? Skipper of Iceland 2003? Is that a... What does that mean? Some <laughs> What's going on? Hey, we can send him a message. This is such a good website. Okay, Ron, we're going to do this. Maybe we'll send him some messages later on. Hey, how do you say your first name? <laughs> All right, so he's out there. And then there's another chap. What was the other chap's name? Uh, maybe I'll recognize it when it goes past here. Philip Delamere. Okay, this is the third person who's out on the water right now competing in the Global Solo Challenge just north of the equator, just passed through the Canary Islands. And, um, oh, he's French. He's going to win. Oh, my God. This is it. Well, there's no point going. There's no point going. Guy's from Le Mans in France. Like He knows racing through and through. He's got all the buttons on his polo shirt done up to the top. I can't. I can't beat this guy. I'm, I give up now. Where does your passion for sailing come from, Philippe Delamere? I was a turbulent child. The French know how to tell it, hey? <clears throat> I was a turbulent child. I'll put on my uh, my book reading voice. I was a turbulent child who had to be occupied for a few hours a day. With sailing, I found myself in an immediately familiar and comfortable element where I experienced belonging to a group. Actually, I'm not going to take the piss. I'm not trying to do that, but it's so beautiful what he's written. It kind of needs the extra uh, effort. Yeah, um, with sailing, I found myself in an immediately familiar and comfortable element. I know that feeling, man. I My... My dad had a boat. He had a 24-foot westerly nomad. I've mentioned it before in other things. And we we did a bit of sailing once. <laughs> it was just a workshop the rest of the time. I learned a lot about fixing boats. Not so much about sailing. But when I went and worked on my first tall ship in 97 in Hong Kong, the first night I got on board it, it was just coming to the mooring ball in this beautiful kind of like remote area of Hong Kong. No buildings. It's all 43% of Hong Kong is national park. It was beautiful all around beautiful tropical evening or subtropical evening and this tall ship's just coming onto a mooring ball and they're furling up the sails and the bells ringing for evening meal and all this kind of stuff and I felt this familiarity and 
I was in a comfortable element, exactly as he says. And I experienced belonging to a group. My God, that's missing today, hey? You know, you get into watching like YouTube shorts and that, and it's just like scroll, scroll, scroll. I'm sure it's the same on uh, Facebook or on, on Twitter. I don't I don't really deal with those. I do get into the, the shorts, but I'm starting to realize it's you've got to deal with this as though it's like sugar, alcohol, cannabis, hard drugs, whatever it is. You've got to go like, this is addictive. This has been designed by people specifically to access chemical you know, reactions in my brain, emotional kind of connectivity. They want to pluck my heartstrings so that I keep watching. I comment, I share, like, and subscribe and, uh, and they get their money. And, uh, you know, I think it's becoming more and more divisive. It's becoming more and more extreme and polar. And the idea of finding yourself in an immediately familiar and comfortable element is as alien to some people as well, their lives seem to me. So, um, I, I like this uh, guy. He, he's, he's French. When you ask him, where does your passion for sailing come from? He he understands the mission. Um, I believe that the way was drawn from my first day at sailing school. Well, maybe, man, maybe, but maybe you were drawing it. What lessons have you learned from sailing? Maybe what I would call a mental discipline. You don't procrastinate. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm doing this wrong. You don't lie. Well, okay. I am doing it wrong. At sea, in any case, once on land, it's something else. Okay, <laughs> you do lie because you say to yourself, like, I think I can catch him up. I don't think that score is going to be too bad. I don't think going at the mast this time will be that awful. Um, but the little white lights, they're not not so bad. But um, you can't procrastinate is something which creates a bit of a problem for me because uh, you do get to a point. I had this uh, experience of doing these two races like pretty much back to back when I did it and I was burnt out after the first one I realized that now as an older person and I was super burnt out by the end of the second one but I started to get a feeling and it's actually I I get it sometimes around um uh, my little boy Isaac in that uh you know if he's if he's crying or he needs something as his parent there's no option not to help there's no option not to to, to do that needs to be done and even like last night he went to bed crooked at about uh, seven at his normal time, but he was immediately back up. He's got a cold. His nose is runny. He can't, you know, you know, it's like he's got sniffles and snuffles. He can't breathe properly. And then he was up from midnight until the sun came up. And then he finally slept. My partner, Kat, took him for a drive at about 9.30 and he slept for two hours in the car. We had to do it in the car because more upright, easier for his breathing. And obviously the action of the... Uh... She also took him for a drive. What am I talking about? She took him for a drive at two in the morning to try and get that happening um, because he was just inconsolable. He's just super, super tired. He couldn't breathe properly. He's so upset. At that point, you don't have an option of like, well, I'm just going to... Well, you're a bad parent. You're a bad person. You're, you know, that's not how I'm going to do it. So you can't procrastinate when it comes to your kids. And the boat feels like that as well. You can't like go, oh, I'm just going to leave that kite up and, uh, you know, bring it down tomorrow when there's weather coming in. You can't ignore some leak or ignore an electrical issue that's creating a big issue, you know, creating a big problem for you. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. You can't procrastinate. And he says you don't lie. And I'm you know trying to find some levity in it. But it's uh, you can't lie about the things that are serious. You You do have these moments of personal uh introspection and uh, uh and realization about your early life about your attitudes about the way you've done things in your life which is uh i've, I've been <clears throat> learning more and more recently about um, the opportunities that exist to alter uh mental states uh in a controlled environment with things like psilocybin um to 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 spread my wings uh, uh, uh mentally and and understand myself more and um 
you know, I've been learning a lot about Eleusis. Eleusis was a kind of temple slash religious site in uh, Greece. Um, it was famous for 2000 years for being able to change people's perspective on life and death. If anything is able to deliver the results, like you'll see the face of God when you go to Eleusis, if it, if it can deliver that for over you know, for nearly 2000 years, like there's got to be something in it. And what modern research has shown is that what they were doing there, this kind of like spiritual um, communion that they're involved in, they were making something which I think is called graveyard beer. Sometimes it's uh, it's uh, wheat, which is made into beer, but it's been infected by the ergot fungus, which then has strong hallucinatory effects on people. It's there's a lot of evidence now saying that the Salem witch trials in which 27 innocent women and men and children were killed by a, a mental town of folks who just like decided they were witches, you know. <laughs> okay, I'm getting on a tangent for here a second. I've spent quite a lot of time in Salem. It's pretty gross, I gotta say. Like Salem the town in Massachusetts in the US, the Salem witch trials, you know, people in crazy hats, burning witches and all that kind of stuff. It's nuts. I walked past this store and there were three young women standing in the store and it was like, um, I can't remember what it's called now, it's like the witch's crypt or some other name that kind of is, is is conjured up by all of this imagery and what have you around Salem and it's like do you guys realize that 27 people probably completely innocent were brutally burnt to death by a town which was suffering from what we now think was ergot poisoning there's a particular combination of weather to do with frost times and a late frost or an early frost or whatever that works out but what happens is that the wheat goes I think it's an early frost it goes into the um the granary and it, it develops this uh, fungus uh, ergot which then when the bread is made from it or the beer is made from it or anything else is made from it it doesn't lose that effect and it then passes on to the folks and you have a town of nutty people who are just out of their mind having a trip basically and burning folks because they don't like the way they look or they don't like the way they speak or whatever the hell it is so <sighs> how do we get onto this i don't know but um the whole thing with it uh, starts to uh, scratch a little bit when you realize this entire town is built on the, uh, the the murder of 27 innocent people. Like the whole tourism thing for that town is built on that. Anyway, I'm going to I'm just gonna get away from that. But um, Eleusis was a different deal. Eleusis was people trying to like expand their minds, understand more about themselves and the world and deliberately engaging in activity where they ingested um, ergot and uh, psilocybin and, um, you know, people came away from it not afraid of death that kind of thing is of of some interest to me the other time when i kind of get that kind of level of introspection level of emotion level of passion level of um awareness that i've ever experienced in my life is when you've been alone 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 on a boat for like you know, I don't know two weeks three weeks something like that and uh you're tired and your calories may be up or down your sugar may be up or down you could be very very tired from whatever's been going on the night before definitely very sleep deprived and you can end up like in different places in your psychology and that is uh, very very much of, of interest to me to to understand that hey i can like put a new operating system on this hardware or certainly experience what that might be I find that pretty pretty interesting and um and I'm kind of driven to that by the experience I've had with uh with with boats and with long range sailing. So, you know, if you don't want to take drugs, uh do off offshore sailing. Don't do drugs whilst offshore sailing. That's that's just the number one rule. Don't do that. Um okay, can we get something out of this at the end here? Yeah, okay. So, what do you think will be the biggest challenge? <clears throat> Successfully start off relaxed. 
rested, serene, without anticipating the rest, the race too much. Okay, so what do you think would be the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge is to start successfully feeling relaxed, rested, serene, and without too much anticipation. That is a big challenge. Um, key key thing with these kind of races, you know, that uh, when that gun goes bang, that's when the rating system kicks in. It doesn't know that uh, you're kind of tired from the night before. It doesn't know that uh, you don't know how to do that knot or you don't know how to change that sail or anything else. It just knows that the boat should be able to do this amount of speed in these kind of conditions and it's been calculated against the other boats. And if you are not ready to go and race from the start, you're immediately like behind the curve. I think starting off rested and serene is probably the most positive way you can be in your mind because it's, uh, it's, you're certainly not going to finish up that way. Um, tell us about your boats or the boat you'd like to have. Uh, the ideal for me is a balance between speed and comfort, between fun and my abilities and within the budget and safety and performance. Yeah. Sailing used to be something which did have like budgets applied to it. And then around 2002, Alinghi decided like, hey, I wonder if you can just throw money at sailing and win. And lo and behold, you can. So they won the America's Cup. And it's kind of been that way ever since. We just keep piling millions and millions of dollars into these boats the outer edge of what you can do in sailing just moves further and further away from what everyday sailors are sailing and we're talking like oh the the you know the um the technology will drip down to the sailors that are there and the yacht clubs like okay dyneema soft shackles come fiber for some maybe but there's been no like massive okay the 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 instruments the the uh, information that you get on the boat but it's not solely through fast boats developing that technology it's from other areas of technology coming across and influencing um influencing the, the you know the design of more modern boats is starlink being available on the boat has got nothing to do with fast race boats developing a you know internet communication system offshore right so the, the outer edge of sailing moves further away from everyday sailors and everyday sailors get less and less interested in what's at the edge of sailing and that is why offshore sailing is dying Ocean race. I don't know what the results were on the last ocean race. I didn't care before. I don't care now. Those boats were built in 2000 and da, da, da. I went to the start of the 2011 uh, Volvo race and it definitely wasn't the Volvo 65. So it can only have been the next race. Was that 2015? Am I losing my mind here? 2014, 2015, around there somewhere. That's when those boats, uh, uh, the ocean race boats, went onto the course for the first time. They've done like three laps of planet, which sounds more like clipper to me. So you're not talking about boats at the edge of what's possible anymore. So you can't talk about that. So what are we talking about? The good thing with the Global Solar Challenge is that we're very, very aware of what we're talking about. Normal people, normal boats, normal experience, not all about, you know, and this guy's been around seven times and the boat cost 15 million and, the, you know, he's expected to be back in 49 days, which is pretty much, you know, any Thomas Colvin round the world race attempt. Right. But uh, here we go. We've got um, our man uh, out here on his. Uh, it's an actual 46. A actual. That must be the designer. Actual. Uh, has he got any information about his boat? Mm, oh, yeah. Here we go is uh <clears throat> is launched in 198 oh it's designed in 1989 and launched in 2012 it's 46 feet long it displaces 8000 kilos which is only a thousand kilos less than the open 60 it has an upwind sail area of 105 meters and a downwind sail area of 145 square meters um yeah to put that in perspective that's uh like a upwind upwind 
area of my boat do i have it here i think it's 340 square meters going upwind what is it downwind like double that i think it's like 600 so that's where we start to get a feeling for the fact that how is it that i can be saying off months it's still a month more than a month ahead and be expected to catch up with uh with philippe here so okay just before we get off this let me go back to david hughes because i didn't read the rest of his answers and uh, i think it is interesting to find out more about these uh people are out there on the water um david is now as we said about a thousand miles off cape town so way ahead having had a very good run down the atlantic I would say he's probably in a strong position to uh, vie for the lead, which sounds like a crazy thing to say, but you're a long way ahead. Um, yeah, that is. So we said, where does your passions for sailing come from? I've already raced around the world once. Crude, we now know that was on Glasgow Clipper in 2007 with Hannah Jenner. Uh, but this is a whole new challenge, he says. And uh, what's not to love about that? What are the lessons you've learned from sailing? To respect Mother Nature. Enjoy the freedom and live the dream. When racing as a crew, everyone on the boat is a big part of the team. Very, very true. Yeah. Respect Mother Nature. I remember watching a YouTube short. Uh, you know, I don't know when it was because time stops when you're doing that stuff. But it was uh, a big cruise ship that had got caught without engines uh, in a storm. And it was broadside to the storm. And this whole thing is just rolling backwards and forwards. And I remember one of the um, one of the comments was, dang mother nature you scary and i think that's uh, about as close as it gets right yeah it's just really really scary and it really doesn't give a shit about you and uh, you better act accordingly what are the lessons you've learned yeah okay enjoy the freedom and live the dream yeah absolutely this is you know it's an expression of freedom to go and do something like this and i think you do you do take people along with you there's, there's realities that come from yeah you've got kids you've got a house you've got family all that kind of stuff you just can't go right now you maybe will do in the future it doesn't mean that you're not gonna do something or that you haven't done anything but like right now you're in that um, period of responsibility um it's great to, to follow folks that are out there doing it and to remind yourself that um you know when the dreams have gone, you may still exist, but you've ceased to live, right? That's that thing I had written down when I was at university. And to, to keep pushing, to get a boat to a start line of something like this is a massive deal. I would say it's harder to get to the start line than the finish line. For me, as I think about this going forwards, I got to overcome the, the financial hurdles that are in front of me between now and you know, I'm going to have to go over the start line, having done my qualifier, having put the rigging on the boat, having paid for the entry. Like there's there's things ahead of me here, which I need to, to do. Um, but the sailing bit, like I'm fine with that. <laughs> that's the bit that's OK. right? It's getting to the bloody start line. That's hard. So, yeah, enjoy the freedom, live the dream. Um, it says, well, what brought you to like single handed sailing? He says a good question, as I've not done it yet. <laughs> Another challenge to embrace in nearly a thousand days before race start. I hear you. I set off from that Velux Five Oceans race, having never sailed more than a couple of hundred miles uh, solo, and uh, and I was setting off around the world. So it's it's a big challenge, but one of course you can get your head around if you already know sailing. But um, different mental game, very different mental game. What prompted you to sign up for this event? Uh, I'm currently following the Vendée, and if I could experience just ten percent of what those amazing amazing sailors do, that would be epic. Well, I think you might have got that wrong, David. I think that a lot of people doing that would look at you and say you've got the bigger challenge. Um, they, a lot of them, as we said, are people who are engaged in big campaigns, a lot of support, a lot of training time, a lot of miles, a lot of knowledge before they go. To be setting off on something like this um, is amazing. It's totally amazing. <clears throat> uh, what? Oh, there's donate. There's donate clickies on on the website. This is great. Oh, so you can uh, you can 
Wow. <clears throat> David Hughes entry fees fundraiser. Funding goal is 9,000 and he got 2,620. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Well, hey, I wonder if you can contribute to me. What's going on? <laughs> I could check this out. Like this, this chap, Marco Nanini, I tell you, he has done an absolutely brilliant job. The, the website, the organization, the, the, the whole thing. It's absolutely incredible. Really worth a look. I'll look at that later on. Um, we've got to get through some other boats here. So it's going to be, um, <clears throat> it's going to be too, <laughs> it's going to be too long, too silly. Uh, let's go for, we were just finishing up with David, weren't we? Uh-huh. Okay. Has he got anything else that we want to learn from him before we move on to the next one? There's only four boats out in the water at the moment, so it won't take too long. Oh, here we go. Uh, tell us about your boat or the boat you like to have. I found an SNS, a Sparkman and Stevens 34, that is completely stripped out and has been sitting in a dry barn in West Wales for the last 13 years. Whoa. She has a name, but I'm going to change it. Not 100% sure to what. Any suggestions? Starting in March this year, uh, with help from friends and some professional input, I'll refit specifically for the GSC 2023 target to get out on the water is easter 2022 followed by intensive training and tuning assistance that's so smart like i wish I, I would say this when he was out doing things in easter of 2022 like i was doing the newport bermuda race and then i did the uh transatlantic in the maxi and then i sailed it solo to iceland so it's not like i haven't been sailing and it's not like i haven't been saying solo and there was for a little while a big thought to take the maxi um We'll talk about that when we start talking about that Volvo 70. I have some uh, some input there on driving very big boats on your own because I'm not sure it actually works out. But um, yeah, he's uh, to, to be able to get out on the water on in the boat that you want to race around the world in as uh, early as a year and a half before the event makes you a very dangerous competitor to other people. That's awesome. Um, okay do you intend to link this personal challenge with a social message well i think we know that complete oh uh, my overall mission statement for the campaign is complete the course zero emissions uh, 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 uh and without compromising safety or reliability use recycled refurbished equipment absolutely yeah and lastly to promote that link between nature and mental health of course we went to his website didn't we that's where we uh we saw it well, sailing experience is the Clipper 0708 round the world race. Third place is watch leader, yachtsman of the year, 2008 uh, yacht club, uh, the Aberayan, Aberayan, it must be West Wales, Aberayan, Aberayan yacht club. Good Lord, I'm so sorry. I don't mean any disrespect. Just help me out with the names, and I'll get it right next time. Uh, he's done the round the island race, Cow's Week, Cork Week, and several other regattas. The Rourke 600 on a Class 40, skippered by Hannah Jenner, and he's an RYA Yachtmaster offshore. So, you know, the thing that is that there's some really, really strong stuff there. Like doing the clip around the world yacht races, you know, that's that's, that's big beans if you're then going to go and sail around the world solo on your your own. Um, but the rest of you know, it's all it's all pretty achievable, right? It's all pretty achievable. I think that's what this is all about. Uh, for, for me, for anybody, it's, uh, it, it's helping just to push other people to understand that it's possible and they can do it so yeah uh he's got some uh blogs here and stuff i won't get too caught up in it let's get back to the uh the race but again lots to learn on board there so we've looked at ben Digidig, we looked at solar wind and we've looked at uh did we look at Mowgli? no we didn't we oh yes we did we've got the souffle le souffle de la mer <laughs> i'm sure i'm messing that up louis robien uh french 
born in 1953 from Lyon in France, so no sailing in and out. Um, oh, it's an X-37. Interesting, interesting. That's a good boat. Okay, where does your passion from sailing come from? Uh, now, where, oh, where is he? Oh my goodness, we're going to mess up the whole system here. Whereabouts is he on the water? Because uh, I've given you the descriptions of where three of them are. Where's the other one? Oh, it looks like he's further up the coast. Is this him? Yeah. Okay, so he's pretty much in the Canary Islands. So you've got him in the Canary Islands in the Soufflet de la Mer in an X-37. You've got just west of Africa and one boat directly west of the bum of Africa and one slightly to the south of it. They're uh, an actual 46 uh, Mowgli piloted by uh, Philippe de la Mer. And then Solar Wind, the Solaire 34, piloted by Edward de Kaiser. And then we've got uh, David uh, down in the Southern Ocean. Well, almost really close, getting there. Um, south of the latitude of uh, Cape of uh, Good Hope. I'm just convinced it's called the Cape of Storms today. The Cape of Good Hope, um, probably about a thousand odd miles off there. So one boat at the bottom of Africa, two boats at the to the left of Africa, and one boat just up uh, in the Canaries there. So this uh, other entry now, Louis Robien, um, he says, uh, originally from the Moselle, I was born far from the sea and had the opportunity to take a dinghy sailing course when I was 17. I restarted the following year and in 1972, I started cruising courses. Then every long weekend uh, I got, I car got carried away with the passion for sailing. Longer and longer cruises and local races, then Atlantic crossings and finally solo races. Oh, great. What lessons have you learned from sailing? You have to be humble with nature because it will always be stronger than you. Absolutely right. This is the best way to go the distance. It is for this reason I have called my boats Le Souffel de la Mer, mixing wind nature and water nature. Uh-oh. Is it really souffle? I have to type in the word souff souffle now and discover that it's... Maybe souffle means it's got air in it. Yeah, basic souffle. It's spelled the same as souffle, but it doesn't have the little accent on the E. So I hope I'm not making a mistake. But uh, I guess souffle means mixing and cooking and maybe it's airy and I don't know. Um, but he's passionate about sailing. And this is number three, Le Souffle de la Mer. So what brought you to single handed sailing? Uh, during a crude Atlantic crossing, I told myself that I could take the next step sailing single-handed so i took part in la solitaire de figaro to take advantage of the safety of the race and to get advice from other skippers following this great experience i persevered in the following years improving with each edition and then crossing the atlantic single-handed great you worked up to it that's the way to do it right little steps little steps little steps what prompted you to sign up for this event for the global solo challenge well when i saw that it was relatively affordable regatta and that the boat i have had for 10 years would be allowed i became interested in the event Taking on a new challenge after doing eight Solitaire de Figaro and uh, crossing the Atlantic solo motivates me a lot to take the next step. A single-handed circumnavigation, knowing that it will be a very beautiful adventure. Spoken like a passionate Frenchman. How do you plan to prepare for the event? I made small adjustments on the boat to navigate alone after several crossings in Corsica with novice crews to be able to manage the safety on my own. In 10 years, I have sailed a lot. Corsica, Malta and the Balearics and tell you what I did that um, the middle sea race which starts out in Malta and goes around Sicily and comes back to Malta and uh, the back edge the north uh, western edge of Sicily is probably some of the roughest upwind conditions I've ever been in in my life um, that is uh, you can 
you can have a, a an odyssey type experience in the in the mediterranean now you don't need to go back to uh homer's time right it's uh it's all right there for you just just go out when the wind's against you and it, it gets serious real quick um in 10 years i've sailed a lot yep to get to know my boat well last year i did some solo sailing this year i'm able to complete the organization of the boat in view of a crude atlantic crossing then the return single-handed on my return i will finish the work to prepare the boat for the gsc and we'll sail to get used to all the new equipment that I'll have installed. What do you think will be the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge will be to finish the race favoring safety. Yeah, tell us about your boat. I currently have an X-37. I remember commissioning an X-42 in about 2008. It was a brand new boat then. And getting to know the designers and the guys at X-Yacht. Brilliant boats, beautifully made. Um, the 37, I believe, is the same uh, as the 42 and that has a big galvanized frame in the bottom of the boat that the keels hung off. So it's very, very strong. And X-Yachts are one of the only boats that's rated. I think they're, I think the Scantlings are ruled under Bureau Veritas. I think it is actually, I think it's coded to go out in Force 10, which uh, you very rarely get that. Most little boats don't have any kind of commercial type survey on the materials they're made from or the design process and so you know you take your life in your hands but the x yachts if i'm correct the x37 would be one of the ones that um is uh very specifically strong for offshore sailing which is great um he says he's been improving it for 10 years uh so it's as autonomous as possible and he's able to navigate single-handed i intend to have the rigging done again by professionals and checked by them before departure yeah <laughs> can you, can you did you get it done cheap can you tell me where it was she's a very sturdy boat and i completely trust her for this challenge well you can't have anything more than that man you trust your boat she'll trust you you come back safe that's all we need right um oh he says do you intend to link this personal challenge with a social message he says yes of course i already sail with the visually impaired wow that's 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 got to be massive like going out onto the ocean visually impaired you got to do some some yeah you've got to do some serious trusting at that point right and be a brilliant skipper to be able to make that safe so Niels Jeppesen is the designer of the uh, X yachts and uh, that's a great boat man that's a great boat 2004 upwind sail area 86 square meters downwind 150 square meters and the displacement of 6400 kilos um yeah amazing amazing so we have got um a, an interesting group of folks out on the water and this is just the early days right because uh we have um, a lot more boats to go as i say there's 20 odd i'd be the 21st if i can get myself in we've got four boats on the water 20 boats uh, have got full entries hopefully with me 21 so we've got uh yeah only like a what's that a quarter quarter a fifth a fifth of the boats out on the water and such big gaps even i'm looking at the the gap down to david hughes down there in the southern ocean and thinking can this work out but um yeah i think it's going to be very very exciting so uh, i see some other names here at kurt morlock i communicate with he's the only other person in open 60 i believe he'll be leaving on the same day as me ronnie simpson i know is uh, uh from hawaii and a friend of one of my close friends who lives in hawaii um he's got skills um who else we've got a regular listener to the podcast kevin le poids de vin is uh in kevin he says that when i say uh, kevin le poids de vin it's close enough so i'm just going to keep going with that right <laughs> um yeah his boat is a lutra boc open 40 that is good okay so we've got some serious boats coming up uh in the later um editions uh, later starts should i say and we've got that volvo 70 so the volvo 70 thing i'm interested in i'm interested to see how that how that happens 
it is possible to buy big boats and take them out onto the water on your own. Whether it can be competitive is something else. The boat that he's got is, isn't it the boat that um, Steve White, after his 2008 uh, Vendee Globe in the sister ship of my boat, I think, the sister ship of my Open 60, afterwards he was talking about doing the West Around the World uh, challenge and he was going to get this boat. It's the, it's um, ABN Ambro 2. Tell me I'm wrong. It's either one or two. It's uh, Black Betty. Brilliant boat, fast boat. I remember it from the UK 20, no, 10 years ago now. I was uh, all over that boat like a rash. Beautiful in the yard when we were getting the Volvo, uh, the Open 60 ready. And um, somebody, I'll have to look around on the website here now, is looking to, maybe I can go to the starts area. Uh, if you go to GSC, where is it? Skippers News Tracking. Oh, I don't know. I don't want to be the guy that's like clicking around on the internet <laughs> whilst trying to do a podcast. I watch and listen to stuff like that. I'm like, that's not interesting. Um, let's have a look at... Um... Okay, here we go. So, okay, so that's just an update from the owner. So if you go to the latest updates thing, which is on the homepage of uh, Global Solo Challenge, they've got a really nice layout here. You can see all the boats on the water, the positions, the start times. Um you know, distances, the the boat that's gone the furthest at the moment is uh, Davin. He's done 5,600 miles. The others are like 2,500, 1,900 and 1,200 miles. Um, they're looking, all of them, estimated finish times. Uh, at the moment, uh, he's looking at the 25th of February as a finish time. Wow. That's David on Ben Diggy Dig. He's uh, got a 25th of February. Now, this is sailing, right? So you don't get super excited about uh, uh, estimated uh, time of arrival. This ain't a train. Like, it might not arrive at all, right? But at the moment, if he was to continue, he looks like he's going to get in on around the 25th of February 2024. Now, the fastest my boat's been around was in the 2004-2005 race uh, with Dominic Wav uh, driving, who was the guy that... Uh, commissioned the boat and it did it in 92 days um <clears throat> so 92 days say three months really right so set off on the 9th of december the 9th of january the 9th of february the 9th of march huh okay that's pretty close you know we don't know exactly what's going to happen next with with david's boat right he's going to keep rolling along but we do know that my boat's been through the southern ocean before and that it can do it in 92 days it also has done it in 105 days in a different year so I don't know exactly what, um, uh, you know, kind of how fast this lap of the planet is going to be. Um, I guess that's the, the main thing. We don't know how fast this time the boats are going to go around, but mine will be relative to his in whatever way that kind of ratio works. But if it's a quick go round, then uh, I got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> by, by the night, it's going to be another. We're in October now and I'm going to leave in two months time. Jesus. OK. So he's got another. So he could be at Australia. He's at Africa now. He could be like at New Zealand. <laughs> he could be sailing around about the, the longitude of New Zealand. And I'm setting off. Marco Nanini, does this actually work? <laughs> I don't know. Look, I want to go and sail and I want to take on the challenge of sailing solo nonstop around the world. What position you get is down to a lot of things, right? I will try my hardest. Um... I want to just complete a solo non-stop event in the way that uh, these these guys uh, do. It's uh, would I want to win it? The thing you've got to remember this is like 
there's only two winners in a yacht race, right? There's the there's the person that comes first and there's one that tells the best story that secures whatever are their objectives from that race. If you want to win, then you better get that one spot. But if you want to win in other ways, like just get to the start line and finish the race or set a 24-hour record for yourself or get a position that you did last year or whatever it is, if you can achieve that objective, then then you're a winner. Whatever, if you don't come in the top spot, that's irrelevant. What I'm very aware of is that you can end up doing one of these big events and going around the world and getting to the end of it and saying, what, what did I get out of that? Like, how did this benefit me? And I think uh, the last couple of times I did it, I got back and couldn't answer that question. When I got back last time, I went and worked as a, like a technician, uh, commissioning uh, new lagoons, Benetos and azimut yachts, which was challenging because it required the technical side of my skill set, but it was a long way away from what I'd just been doing. There was no continuity. It was an immediate loss of momentum. So I've been very inspired listening today to what the other people have uh, got in mind going into this. I think they've got some clear plans there and uh, and look like they're going to be very strong competitors on the water, although it might not seem it when you see the boats lined up to begin with. But then when you realize the difference in the departure times, it's uh, I think it's going to be a very, very exciting race. So um, the value proposition from me, if anybody is interested to get involved with uh, some sponsorship or to help out, is that the Clipper race and the Velux race I did, the uh, I wrote a lot of blogs. I, I won a lot of uh, media awards, and um, I think with the, I think with the, I was 143 days at sea with the Velux race, and I was writing about five or six hundred words a day on average. I think I ended up doing like 70,000 words. I was writing a column for the independent newspaper in the UK, which was editor's pick for like a year, um, doing media with the the BBC and what have you. But that was all based on the ability to send stuff back from the boat and uh, for this trip round we're going to be talking about this a little bit actually in the next podcast which is the uh, abc of sailing and it's going to be i i finally worked out what i'm going to do and uh, although i got given some really good ideas one of which was isobars which was weather-based i thought that was excellent um i'm going to go for information because i think that information is the difference now but both coming off the boat and making this kind of uh, offshore race more interesting and coming onto the boat both in terms of technical data, tactical data, and sometimes like unwanted information, which can really start to make a mess of an offshore sailor's head. So going this time, I'm going to be using Starlink, and we're going to be talking about that, as I say, in the podcast. Um, the upload-download rate is phenomenal. You can have a completely clear Skype conversation. And from the reports I've got now, uh, they're covered almost to the pole. So going through the Southern Ocean is not really an issue. Um I've got 27 gigabytes available per month for like 160 bucks. I'm not an advert for Starlink, but it is completely unbelievable that uh, that this kind of tech is available. So I'll uh, I'll reveal a little bit more about how I'm going to be doing there. But it means video, podcast, uh, photos, and written blogs are very much going to be part of what I do because I think that the win for me, given the fact that I do this podcast, is um, media coming off the boat. So if part of that sounds interesting, if you want to support in some way with that, uh, either a personal level or a corporate level level or something like that, I have very specific bills now that need paying, uh, to, to get to the start line. My company in its dying throes and me during COVID and during everything else that came thereafter, I've kept going with the boat. The boat is ready to go apart from the the rigging and the um, and the entry fee, actually, or the remainder of the entry fee, which is very minimal amount. Um, 
that, that's the only things I've got to do. So if I get the entry fee paid, then I'll be back on the actual fellow entry list for the uh, competitors. Then we can read my bio off the website <laughs> and uh, we get the rigging done and we are good to go. I just need to have it lined up with a rigging company, although we can we can pay things as we go along. There are a couple of sales that I would want if I could get my hands on them, but I'd be willing to go without them. Um, I'll just be a lot quicker if I have uh, the two sales that I'm thinking of uh, replaced. So there's options there if anybody wants to get in at the last minute with uh, some sponsorship. Other than that, we are sponsored by Nihil, uh, Nihil Energy, which is uh, a hydrogen fuel cell company out of Quebec. Uh, the guys there have been absolutely phenomenal uh, with their support. They made it possible for me to get to this point, but they were never intending to be like the prime sponsors for the event. So they put their money in in like 2019 or something. I think it was even earlier than that. And uh, a lot's happened since then. Um, they were in as like a bronze level uh, sponsor. I've done everything else to get to this point. We just need that little push over the uh, over the edge with the remaining parts. But um, it sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? It looks good out on the water. There's some really interesting things happening there. When you see those boats, remember those two boats, that uh, three boats rather, which are up around the, the bum of Africa there. Um, there must be a better way of describing that than the bum of Africa. I, w I will look into this. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of boats leaving from Spain, uh, sailing through that area. We better have the, the general kind of geography uh, laid out properly in uh, our lingo. But um, those boats are going to accelerate and catch up with David down in the, uh, uh, the, I think probably by the time he gets to Australia, they're going to be like, they're going to see him ahead. They're going to be at Africa when he's at Australia. They're going to be cut the distance down by, you know, yet more by the time he gets to New Zealand. By the time he's on his way to Cape Horn, I should be out there catching up with him, which is going to be pretty darn exciting. So, yeah, that's the first of these for the GSC. A little bit tricky to kind of introduce the entire concept and me and the others, but I hope I can communicate some of my passion for this, some of my excitement about it. Um, I'm on the boat uh, pretty much every evening at the moment. I was working like eight till three, but it's an absolute killer with a, a young family and I was not pulling my weight um, at home. So I've, uh, I've cut that back a little bit, but I've cut it back because really all we need to do to launch now is um, get the anti-foul on, which we can now do with the donations that we've received and uh, get that... Um, that uh, mixing elbow for the engine uh, fabricated. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I met a guy the other day as a welder and I told him that uh, Yamaha want two and a half thousand Canadian dollars for the, uh, for the part that I need as a mixing elbow. It's not even, it weighs like four pounds and it's like six inches on its longest axis. And he's just rolling his eyes. I like, couldn't believe it. He was also, I think, rubbing his hands together. He's like, oh, well, <laughs> even if I charge him two grand, it's cheaper, but no, he'll, he'll do me, do me right by that. But, uh, we're on our way. It's going to happen as much as I can. And if not, it's going to be uh, a sail across the Atlantic because I'm going to get that close. Even I'm going to qualify, I'm going to get somehow get that uh, the fee in. If I can't afford the rigging, well, then that's my story. Right. But I'll, I'll keep making chances until there are no chances left and uh, we'll see what the fate is. So, yeah, if you're interested in listening to other stories of uh, folks sailing around, the Mariner's Library is available. We'll, next um, podcast here on the Mariner is going to be um, I is for information uh, on boats, which I think should be a good one. I've got some notes here. I try not to do too much notes for those because otherwise it takes away that element of um, it's what's in my mind. I've also had some fantastic questions uh, and some uh, really interesting. There's a chap contacted me, told me all about, it was via YouTube, told me all about a situation he got into with a hydraulic steering failing at night offshore in Sweden and uh, and kind of how it went down thereafter. So I'm going to read that one. So if you've got any interesting sailing stories, you've got any questions, you've got any uh, questions about the GSC, csmthemariner at gmail.com. 
and um, the PayPal, which I was not expecting this at all. I was not expecting to just people to, to be that generous, but that's uh, CSM Offshore. That's the name of my company at, uh, at gmail.com. Maybe I'll uh, make that a little bit easier with a CSM The Mariner um, tag on PayPal as well. So it's all in one place if that's something you, you feel that you can do. But um, that's it for today. That's it for the GSC uh, uh, program. And we'll be back to our normal Mariner programming next. I just literally looked down as I was about to conclude this and saw that the Sea Survival Handbook is right next to me on the shelves. We've been getting the Mariner's Library, all these books that I own of uh, sailing, getting it all squared away. And I had lost that book. I just realized it's right next to me. So we've also got um, the Sea Survival Handbook to finish up more information about cold weather, life rafts, life jackets, you know it. That's coming soon as well. So wherever you are and whatever you are doing, I hope that you are safe and sound. And that includes those four brave souls that are already out on the Atlantic at the moment. That's Eduardo, Philippe, Daffid and Louis. Um, I'd like to say to you guys, if you ever hear this podcast, I can't wait to catch up with you. <laughs> and I mean that in the most literal sense possible. For everyone else, I'll speak to you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.